All right, this week we're going to be starting a brand new series I'm very excited about. It's called Resharpening. And as I kind of talked about a little bit last week, really briefly, and we kind of brought up this about, the, the idea of this message really came from something that we were doing here at the church a couple uh, weeks ago now, maybe even a month ago. We had a, a knife sharpening class. Alan kind of brought uh, all of us together, and we kind of learned how to sharpen knives and all those sort of things and had a great time. And, and I kind of had to admit last week to Alan as he was talking about it, I was trying really hard to focus on him because I did not want to uh, lose a finger later on when we were actually going to take what he taught us and put it into practice. But at the same time, I felt like God was just kind of speaking to me and, and, and laying some things on my heart about this series. And I'm very excited about sh uh, sharing it with you and, and, and looking at these things. But before we kind of really jump in, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time and this uh, opportunity to come together. Father, I thank you for each one that's here. God, I thank you for for each one that's online. And Father, I pray that you would just speak through me. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember hearing this quote when I was back in high school and school. So I don't know for sure. You know, you hear a lot of quotes nowadays and it's hard to go like, did he really say this or did he really not say this? But I've always known this quote to be attributed to our 16th president, a guy named Abraham Lincoln that hopefully we all know a little bit about. And he made this comment. He said, if you give him basically six hours to cut down a tree, he would spend the first four sharpening the axe. I remember hearing a story when I was younger about these two men that were in a competition and it was like in Canada or something like that. These had a lumberjack competition. I remember watching like those types of competitions on, on ESPN because they had nothing else to show, I guess, at that particular time. But in this story, there's these two men and one's a younger guy and one's an older guy and they kind of went through all these rounds and finally it's the finals. And so they were sent out to the woods with these instructions. They had eight hours and during that eight hour time, their job was to cut down the most trees and that at the end of the eight hours who had cut down the most trees of a certain size obviously would be declared the winner so the the, the gun goes off they begin and the the younger guy man he goes at it and he's just going down he's chopping as fast as he can go and trees are falling and he just keeps going and he's not stopping he's just going and going and going and he knows the older guy is kind of farther away off into the distance he doesn't really know and he's not hearing quite as many trees falling and and, and then all of a sudden, he's, he's not hearing any chopping either. And he's going, oh, man, the, the old guy must needed some rest. Man, he must not be as strong as I am, not as powerful as I am. So he just goes harder and faster. And, man, he's not stopping for food. He's not stopping for water. He's just chopping, and he's chopping, and he's chopping. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't hear any chopping anymore. And he goes, oh, man, maybe the old guy quit. Maybe, maybe he's not doing it. So he just goes faster and faster. And, and you know, eventually the chopping begins and all these sort of things. So finally, the eight hours is up. And man, the younger guy is confident. He's like, dude, I didn't stop for eight hours. I got this thing in the bag. And so they bring them all up to the front. And out of just complete shock, the older man wins. And the young guy's just like, well, wait a minute. How in the world did this guy beat me? I mean, I didn't stop for eight hours. I know he stopped. I know he didn't finish and do all the work that I did. How in the world did this guy beat me? So he goes to the older man. And he says, I don't understand. I said, I know you stopped. I, I heard the chopping stop. How in the world did you beat me? The older man smiled. And he said, son, let me, let me help you learn 
a little something. Let me help you understand a little something. He said, in those moments where you heard me not chopping, I wasn't resting. He said, I was sharpening my axe. And you see, sometimes that is hard for us to do. Because when there's the sharpening process, trees aren't falling. It seems like we're not busy. It seems like we're not about our Father's business. But the thing is, we have to understand that there are times in our lives where God has called us to make sure our axe is sharp. In Ecclesiastes 10.10, this is what it says. A dull axe requires great strength. Be wise and sharpen the blade. Be wise and sharpen the blade. I know it's hard because when we sharpen, it forces us to slow down. It forces us to take the time that is necessary to do it. But we need to understand this. And this is in your notes as we kind of intro this whole series. When the axe in our, is sharp in our life, we are more effective. When the axe head gets dull, we get less done with twice the effort. That's really, in some ways, what this series is about. We are going to teach you how to get your edge back in some key areas of your life. Because here's what I've learned. God doesn't, isn't really overly impressed with how hard you work. What he's impressed with is how effective your work is. Okay? There's a lot of times that we, we just want to go at it and we're swinging and we're trying to do these great things for God and that's awesome and great. But sometimes God says, listen, I want you to sharpen the blade so you can be more effective for the kingdom. So you can do a better job with the tools and the giftings that I've given you. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some key areas in our lives. We're going to look at some areas where I believe God is calling us to take a moment, take a step back, and get our blades sharp again. So that we can be more effective for Him. So that we can do a better job making a difference in our world, in our community, in our church, and in our families. So this week, we're going to start with one that I believe is very important. Okay, this is one of these ones that, and if you know me at all, you know how I kind of work. I try to kind of work from the most, maybe not the most important, but in very, very important to going down the line. Not that the last one isn't important, but I feel like if we can get this one right and understand this concept and get this blade sharpened, it will help us from, from this point on and on the rest of them. Does that make sense? And so this one is a big one, and it's actually one that I have to learn, and I'm still learning to this day, because to be honest with you, I'm not really good at it. So this is one for me, too. And the one we're going to be talking about this week is to resharpening your attitude. Resharpening your attitude. Now, before we kind of jump in here, uh, I want to kind of define that. I want to define what I mean when I say the word attitude. And this is what it is in your notes. A matter of thinking feeling or behaving that reflects a state of mind or disposition okay okay it, it is a mindset basically it is the way you see things it's your perspective because i remember used to thinking my attitude didn't matter 
And there have been times in my life, just to be as open as I can, that my attitude, my mindset was bad. It was horrible. And I would look at things, and my perspective was so bad that everything I saw was kind of, I kind of saw it through those lenses, and it affected everything else. And see, God desires us to have a mindset and an attitude that is correct because at that point, when we see the world the way he wants us to see it, everything can change the way he desires us to see. So this is a mindset. This is an attitude. This is changing how we see things, how we act, our behavior that goes along with it. Because as we saw in the definition, this is just not a state of mind or a feeling. It affects our behavior which is very important. So we're going to look at a couple of scriptures. Ecclesiastes 9:10a. This is what it says. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all of your might. Some translations say strength or, or mightily. They have this it's idea that God is looking at us and saying, listen, we need to look at things and whatever I have called you to do, whatever I've asked you to do, whatever I've desired for you to do, we need to do it with everything that we can. We need to look at it and go, you know what? How am I doing it and how can I do it better with God's help. Because here's the thing, your attitude, and we really have to understand this, has the power to change your life. You go, Aaron, really? And I remember being there. I mean, can I tell you a little story? I remember there was a time in my life where my attitude was just horrible, and it was bad, and I couldn't see how it was affecting everything around me until my wife, who loved me enough to, to, to sit me down and go, hey, Aaron, this has got to change. Because I thought, you know, my attitude only affects me. But it didn't. It affected so much more. Here's the thing I've learned when it comes to this idea. You cannot change sometimes the positions you are put in. You cannot change the people you have to deal with or the things that people say or do to you. But you have the power to change your attitude and your mindset and your perspective. The question is, will you do it? Will you do it? Will you work the way that God has called you to work? Because right now, a lot of us, we don't like to do that. We don't want to be stretched. We don't want to have things be harder for us. Our lives are, we, are, we spend so much time in our life trying to figure out how can we make things easier for us? And God's saying, wait a minute. There's, there's, there's a principle here that we need to understand. Let's look at Colossians 3. We looked at the Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament. Colossians 3.23. This is what it says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Now, as we get into this series and see these things, we're, we're going to see some things that, you know, this is going to be hopefully one of those series that's really applicable and really helpful and really can, can change things like on your day-to-day -day lifestyle and things like that. But I want to give you this morning three words. Three words. And if you don't remember anything else from this morning, remember these three words. And this is in your notes. And I'm going to read them with you. And I want you to look at your notes if you have them or if they're on the screen. And follow here with me because these are important. These are what will take that attitude and that mindset and that perspective and begin to shift it into more of the attitude and the mindset that Jesus wants us to have. And here it is. There are three words that will transform your attitude and in turn transform your professional, 
relational and spiritual life. Okay? This is big. This is big. Here they are. You ready? And then some. And then some. Let me help you and tell you how this works. This is really, really mind-blowing. I'm glad you're all seated because this is deep. Real deep. Whatever, in whatever area of your life is required of you or expected of you, do that and then some. Do that and then some. Because if we can live that way, I promise you, it will transform your life. It will literally, in every area of your life, change it. I want you to think about that for a second. Think about it in your marriage. You didn't just do what was required of you, but you went one step further. In your relationships with your friends or your coworkers, you didn't just sit there and, and just have this idea, you know what, that, that's not my job. I don't want to do that. You would you take it one step further. You would go one step further. I know this is a weird example, but I just remember this one because it stuck so hard in my head. I was a youth pastor in Albuquerque, and I was sitting there in my office, and I'm working, and, and we had phones, like, of course, everybody does, and, and the phone was ringing, and, and we had a secretary, and she was on the phone. Well, the phone was ringing. So I did something absolutely mind-blowing. I answered the phone. And the person on the other line was a little surprised. I said, Aaron, is that you? I said, I said, yeah. And their attitude was interesting to me, and it just stuck with me. And they said, why are you answering the phone? It was deep. I said, because it was ringing and my hands work. <laughs> it was ringing. But they couldn't understand that. You, 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 you ever heard this term, you know, like there's people, you know, and there's, there's bad words to the world, basically, and then there's bad words to you. you. Here's some bad words to Aaron, okay? You ready? Here's what you should never say around me, just so you know, because if you do, I'm going to go and get weird, okay? Never say the words, that's not my job. That will drive me crazy, because I go, wait a minute. Our job is to work hard. Our job is to serve the Lord. Our job is whatever we put our hands to, to do it with all our might, all our strength, all our heart. This morning, I want to look at a story about an and then some moment. And it's found in Genesis, in Genesis 24. Now let me kind of give you a background of the story really quickly. In Genesis 24, Abraham is getting older. He wants to find a wife for his son Isaac. At this time, marriages were pretty much arranged. It kind of just was the way it was. And so Abraham desires to find a wife for his son Isaac. So we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 24, starting with verse number one, and we'll go through verse four. Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day, Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of those local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, 
to my relatives and find a wife there for my son Isaac. Okay, so what's happening is he's brought his servant in. He said, listen, I want my, my, my son to get married, but I don't want him to marry the ladies around this area. I want you to go and I want to send you to find someone that, that, that my son can marry. And so basically that kind of is where we pick up the story. There's little things that go on, but we're going to pick up again in verse number 10. So Genesis 24, verse number 10. So the servant, then he loaded 10 of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master, and he traveled to distant, uh, to distant Aram Naharam. Then he went to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. He made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening, and the women were coming out to draw water. O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too, let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Okay, got the story? So he gets there. It's, it's evening time. The ladies are coming out to draw water. He's got 10 camels with him. Remember that number. 10 camels. And he prays. He says, okay, God, here's what I want. Will you kind of help me in this moment? And he says, I will ask someone for a drink. And if she's willing to water the camels, I'll know this is who you have for my uh, servant uh, or for my master's son Isaac. So let's finish the story in chapter uh, 24, starting again with verse 16. Rebekah was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. Virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, "Please give me a little drink of water from your jug." Yes, my lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. I asked you to remember this. How many camels... <laughs> Did Abraham's servant have with him? Ten. Do you have any idea how much water thirsty camels drink? Thirty gallons. Anybody know how to do math really, really quickly? Because I don't, so I used a calculator. That's probably up to 300 gallons of water. She ran back and forth. What was asked of her? What was asked of her? Can I, the servant, can I have a drink? That's all. That was all that was asked. And she did it. Good for her. She could have said, man, I don't know who you are. How dare you ask me for a drink? I don't want to have to go back and get more water. I, this water's for my family. This is, this, this is not for you. But she does it. She immediately takes it and gives it. And then without being asked, without being prompt, without understanding anything that's going to come, she says, let me do more. And then some. That's the type of woman Rebecca was. And now you know her name. 
You know who she is. She was instrumental. You know, you talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those things, all those names, great. You know, uh, the guys didn't have the baby. I hope I didn't have to explain that. God uses her in an amazing way. We know who she is. Listen, this is a principle of God that when we understand it and do it, God blesses us and does amazing things through us. But we want, to be honest, we want to just do what's required. We just want to find, what do I have to do where I can just, we, we want to find the line so we don't go above and beyond. But yet in Rebecca's case, she didn't just go a little bit. She went almost, let's just say, 200, maybe they weren't crazy hot, thirsty. So they, 250 gallons of water. She went above and beyond and then some. So let's kind of close it because this is important, okay? I really feel like this is an important message and an important understanding, and we have to stop because it's not about why is this important to me, but why is this important to God? Why does God look at us and tell us to work with all our might? Why does God, in, in the, that principle, come out so much? I think there's four reasons. There's more, but I felt like God laid four on my heart. Number one, God wants us to grow in our professional, relational, and spiritual life. I want to stop and just think about this for a second. How if you became, if your attitude, your mindset, and your perspective switched and became and then some type of person, how would it affect those three areas in your life? Where you said, you know what, God? I know you've commanded us and told us that we need to spend time with you in prayer and, and, and reading our word and things like that every day. And you know what? I'm going to go above and beyond that. I'm not just going to find what's required. I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to go after you. And it doesn't matter if it takes five minutes or 30 minutes. I'm going to find you. If how we handled our work life or our school life was not just trying to find where we had to stop, but just went further than that. In our marriages, in the way we deal with our kids, the time we spend with each other. If we stopped having the attitude of just trying to find the minimum and instead said, we're going to go for it, we're going to go after it. Think what God will do in us and through us in those moments. This is big. And I remember, I'll be honest with you, I remember struggling as I was writing this over the last couple of weeks going, God, is this, and forgive me for being just honest, but it's like, God, is this spiritual enough? And God was like, yeah, because the attitude matters. Because how you see things matter. So God wants us to grow in these areas. And God knows that one way that we'll do that is to stop trying to find the minimum and go and then some more. Let's look at Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, this is what it says. Then, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Listen, if you are being blown about, it's probably there's some maturity things that God wants to help you to understand and help you to grow in. 
those, those things of being tossed and turned, that kind of idea, that is a moment where God is allowing those things to take place so that you go, oh, wait a minute. I need to grow in this area. You need to grow in this other. We, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Number two, number two, we need to understand why this matters to God. We are working for God, not for man. Working for God, not for man. Colossians 3.23, we've already read it, but we're going to read it again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. This is a weird way to put it, but I think it's the easiest way to understand it. Tomorrow, a lot of us, you're going to go to work, you're going to go to school, you're going to do something, maybe you volunteer someplace, maybe you watch some kids or whatever, I don't know. But basically, you got something going on tomorrow or sometime this week. And I want you to imagine this. How would it be different if instead of you walking past your, 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 your boss's office and looking in and seeing he or she, you saw God sitting there? How would that affect how you did your job? Students, your teacher. Now, I know this may be hard for some of you. But you look in your teacher, you don't see a teacher, you see Jesus. How will that change how you go about your assignments? How will that go about how you treat others? You see, we've got to understand that. We're not working, we're not working for a person. We're not working for a man or a woman or, or even for a paycheck. We are working unto God. We need to understand that. Number three, as Christ followers... We are an example to others. 1 Peter 2, 12. This is what it says. Be careful to live properly among your, among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You are an example. You are going into areas and into places that God has preordained for you to be in to make a difference for him. How's your light? How's your example? Listen, hear me here, and I, I truly believe this. And you go, well, Aaron, that, that's, that's not fair. I, I, this is just what I, I've seen. People should look at your life, whether it be at school, in your home, in the workplace, and see something visibly different about the way you work, the way you live, the way you, your attitude. It should be different from people who don't know Jesus. It should. And if it's not, we need to make some changes. We need to start doing things a little bit differently. A quick story, I remember when I was in college and I had a, a girlfriend who, who worked, some of you know this, I worked, um, well, maybe I'll tell you in a second. Um, she worked at the Royals Stadium, okay? I grew up in Kansas City where the, the Royals play 
and they had, at the time, they don't now, but they had a, a beautiful restaurant in the stadium. And so there was a bunch of glass, and you could actually sit there and watch the game and, and eat filet mignon, you know. And it was really expensive and fancy schmancy and all that sort of stuff. And so she had a job there, and she said, Aaron, you know, they, they pay pretty well. You ought to go and, and try to get a job. I'd never been a waiter before. I, I, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know anything about it. And this wasn't, you know, not that this is a bad thing, but this wasn't going to work at Applebee's. I mean, this was a five-star restaurant. I had to learn some fancy stuff. And I thought, you know, I'll go in there, and I can bust tables. That's, that won't be bad. I mean, think about it. I love baseball. This is dream job time. I can sit there and pick up a plate and watch the game. I mean, this is going to be awesome. So I walked in there, met with the general manager, and I sat down, and he started talking, and we started talking, and I, it was just kind of this moment, and he, he kind of stopped about midway through the interview. And he said, wait, wait a minute. What are you here for? I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm applying to be a busboy. He goes, you, you want to you do what? I said, oh, I'm applying to be a busboy. And he goes, he goes, have you ever been a waiter before? I said, no. I don't, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there doing it in my head, like, yeah, I, one of those trays, and then all over the place. And, and he goes, he goes, uh, I, I want you to be a waiter. I, I, said, I said, Jeff, his name was Jeff. I said, Jeff, I've never been a waiter before. I, I don't know. I don't know any of this stuff. I don't know the things I'm going to have to learn to, to, to do these things. He goes, he goes hey, listen, Aaron, I can teach you. I can teach you that. I said, well, I don't understand. I, why would you want me to be a waiter? And he made this comment. He said, listen, Aaron, I can teach you how to serve a table, but I can't teach someone how to serve others. He said, there's something in you that's different. And I just smiled. And I said, well, Jeff, let me tell you about Jesus. What, what did I do? I should have been a busboy. And probably the first week or so, Jeff probably went, maybe I made a mistake, you know. I didn't drop anything, but, every, you know, it was a little nervy there for a while. But, but what happened? He saw something different. And look, I'm not special. I just told you how bad my attitude can be sometimes. But I understood something. I got to be an example in a dark place. I got to be different. And it didn't just come from Jeff. It came from other servers. It came from me going in. And we had a guy there who was, he had washed dishes there for like 20 years. And he got backed up. And so I wasn't doing anything. So I was like, hey, man, what do you need? Can I help you? And he started washing dishes with him. And he was just this kind of older guy, kind of crusty. I don't know if that makes sense to you, you know, kind of hard. You know, and I'm looking over and I'm washing dishes. And he begins to cry. I'm like, what's wrong? Like, what did I do? Did I do something? Did I break a dish? Am I going to make you in trouble? And he looked at me and he said, I've been here for 20 years and no one has ever helped me wash dishes before you. And then some. And then some. We are an example 
You see, God doesn't give us principles just because he's bored. He gives us principles because when we follow them, it blesses others and blesses us. But we're an example. Number four and the last one, and this is a big one, because we are made in God's image and we serve a, and, and then some God. Listen, if this was the only one, this would be enough. Look at Romans 8, 32. He, meaning God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Folks, we serve an and then some God. And my son was watching one of those nature shows that he loves to watch yesterday. And I'm getting his lunch ready. He comes down, he's watching it, and I'm listening and all this sort of stuff. And it actually popped up. It's the craziest thing. Do you know, at least according to the show he watched, which I think is true, there's over 500,000 types of beetle? Why? Why? Listen, I, I, I actually preached a, a message on this back in, in, in Albuquerque, and I hate to even bring it up because I may use it one day here, so you're going to have to get it twice. Listen, do you know every snowflake is different? We had a big snow recently. How many trillions, zillions, whatever, I don't even know. Snowflakes fell, and all of them are different. All of them have been handcrafted by God, and when the sun comes out, they're gone. And 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
and, and you and your husband and your wife are having issues or trouble. How about maybe with your kids? You know, that's always can be a, a hard thing or friendships or, or maybe, maybe you kind of lost your edge with God. Maybe, maybe you're not in love with God as much as you used to. Maybe you don't spend as much time with God as you used to. If we can become and then some type of people in those situations, I truly believe he will transform areas of our life that we need transformed. And not just that. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. I do believe that's going to change you and change your situation. But I also believe it's going to change a lot of other people's situations. Remember Rebecca? Remember that woman who was crazy enough, I guess? Because that's sometimes how we see people that act this way. To water 10 thirsty camels. She married Isaac. And then she started having some kids. And then those kids started having some kids. See, this, this story takes place in Genesis. There's, there's a lot of the Bible that was still going to come. And you know what eventually comes from this young girl who is willing to go above and beyond? A king named David. And David kept having kids and then just kept going and going and, and eventually... There was this little girl, another little girl, young girl, named Mary. And God appeared to her. He said, you're going to have a son. Name him Jesus. Because he's going to save his people from their sins. You see, Rebecca didn't know when she was watering those camels, what God had in mind for her. He didn't, she didn't understand. It was hot. She could have quit. She could have said, nah, you know, I don't know who this guy is. I'm out. But she said, no, I'm going to go. And then some. And it changed you see, I believe that each and every one of us has a plan and a purpose to do amazing, massively incredible, awesome things for God. And those things come when we step into and then some types of attitudes, mindsets, and lives. And here's the thing, you may never see it. You may never know. But you will one day. And you'll be in heaven with our Father and with Jesus. And I truly believe, because we got to have all the time in the world, <laughs> he's going to take a walk with you. And Jesus is going to say, hey, you remember that time? You remember that time at work where you didn't want to help somebody else finish up their project? Because you know what? They didn't do it right, and they didn't work hard enough, and blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and I spoke to you, and you were obedient. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Well, let me tell you something. 
I let that seed plant in that person's life. And they went home. And about 10 years later, because of that seed, I kept watering it. I kept working on it. And you know what? They walked into a church and they accepted Jesus. And because they accepted Jesus, they brought their family. And they had a little three-year-old boy at the time. And that three-year-old boy, because of that planted seed, grew up in the church and, and fell in love with me and fell in love with, with, with the things of God. And I called that little boy to do amazing things. And I want you to look out and I want you to see all those people that are over there in heaven with you right now. You know why they're there? Because you were willing to give and then some. I truly believe it. I want that to be my story. I want that to be our story. And it can be. You can't choose certain things, but you can choose this. So let's choose it this morning. Father, we come to you right now. And God, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances, God, in our relationships, in our, in our work, in our homes, in our school, in every area of our lives, and anything our life touches right now, God, I pray that we would become a people that says, and then some. That acts, and then some. That lives, and then some types of lives. That our attitude would be changed that we would understand what you say when you tell us that whatever we put our hand to, to do it with all our might, with all our strength, with all our ability, that we will not just look at something and just go halfway, but that everything that we have, we will put towards that moment, that thing, that person, that relationship. And Father, I believe in the principles of God. And I believe when we do that, things in our lives will be transformed. Relationships will be transformed. Marriages will be transformed. Job, work situations will be transformed. Our relationship with you, God, will be transformed. Help us, God, to sharpen this area of our life. Help us. We love you. We thank you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come and lead us in a quick closing chorus.
right now that in each of our lives that through your Holy Spirit you would just begin to illuminate areas and situations and relationships where we have not been this type of people where we've just kind of done the bare minimum we haven't wanted to go a little bit more we just kind of want to find that that requirement so we don't go past it and God, I pray that you would show us those relationships, those areas, those situations right now. And that, Father, we would decide and commit to you that we would make some changes in our mindset and our perspective and our attitude. And instead, be an then some type of people in that situation. And God, I believe and I know that when we do that, we are going to see transformation take place because you promised us that you would respond when we follow what you have called us to do and called us to be. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. Love you all so, so much. Listen, if you want to get baptized, come see me. We'll do baptism in two weeks from this Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Have a great week. I love you. Love everybody that's online. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week.